And we're live. Uh, thanks, everyone. Uh, welcome back to episode 14 of the Redesign Growth Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Ritwaj Gautam, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Shruti Goli. Uh, we're really, really excited today uh, because we're joined by um, someone that I've been very excited to talk to. Uh, he's the Chief Product Officer at Coursera, uh, Shravan Goli. And uh, Shruti, he is also your uncle. So this is, uh, this is lovely. And also, as with like small world Indianness, his uncle, uh, your uncle knows my uncle. And uh, <laughs> this, is, this is just, this is great. Well, well, <laughs> so welcome on the show. The whole point of the show, Shravan, is we, we see if we can talk to enough smart people, will we learn something about the relationship mm -hmm. between mm -hmm. product and growth? Uh, and I'm really excited to dive into how you view the relationship between product and growth at Coursera. But before we do that, uh, I would actually love to teed up to you for you to introduce yourself because uh, my guests do a better job at introducing themselves than I ever could. So if you could tell the audience a little bit about uh, yeah. yourself, kind of how you got into product and how you ended up where you are now, I think that might be a great place to start. Okay, that's a long story to share, but I'll try and make it short. <laughs> uh, first of all, I don't think no one's aging anyone at this point like uncles you know it's all we don't need to talk do you want to tell them about it yeah yeah <laughs> um but anyway well for, for the guests uh i'm shravan goli uh with uh actually i became the chief operating officer last year at coursera but i did start as a cpo and general manager here at coursera four years uh, five years ago um yeah so uh in terms of you know what what my background is and how I got into product, et cetera. I worked a long time at Microsoft. Um, when I started my career, it was at Microsoft. I think it should be just like you did. Following um, your footsteps, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm doing better, I guess. Um, so so uh, I started as, as a techie in my life, just as a developer and spent a lot of time coding for a couple of years there. And then I just got fed up with people asking me to build this, build that, build this, like, you know, why am I doing this? Um, so that why got me to thinking about like who actually tells the developers to do X or Y or Z. It was just like, oh, product managers. Well, I want to be in that seat versus, you know, being on the, on the technology side uh, coding. But more interestingly, actually, as I started moving in that direction, I got like really interested in the customer. Uh, I think that's where it all started for me. I spent a lot of time uh, as I learned the trade, talking to customers, doing research, primary like you know it's kind of what what you guys do all, all day long but that's what got me excited like really thinking about customer customer problems building empathy for the customer side of the equation and then really thinking about like okay how do you create value for the customers and how do you create value for the business so that's kind of the intersection as i think about product management um but that just kind of from there on i just kind of built on it uh i i was i moved on to sort of the more bigger product roles and then uh my goal was to kind of actually start a company at some point in my life. So you guys accomplished that, uh, <laughs> right? So I had kind of a similar dream uh, back in the day to kind of start a company. Um, but in order to do that, I wanted to actually be fully capable of doing it. So I went and got an MBA in the meantime. Uh, and then I switched into marketing. And then I switched into sales enablement, solutions, et cetera, all at Microsoft. Until I got to a point where I went to my uh, Yahoo and and then you know became a head of product, but also over time became a general manager. So really think of myself now as you know, rooted in product, uh, technology product, and then marketing turned operator. Uh, and then since then, I think about it's like you know fast forwarding uh, to where I am. 
I went on to become president CEO of dictionary.com. You know, some of you might have used dictionary.com. You know, we're not aging again. Um, <laughs> uh, and and then uh, went on to become the president of Dice, which is technology job marketplace. And for the last five years here at Coursera. It's, That's it's awesome. so interesting and funny to think about your sharing your career path. And then when you go look at my LinkedIn, it's like following whatever his yeah. footsteps are. Yeah, all those years of like just talking to you kind of really yeah. that got you to think about like, okay, what kind of career you want to develop into. Right? This is called brainwashing, folks. Classic brainwashing 101, right? <laughs> you heard it live. Very, very rarely any of you listen to these kinds of things, right? So <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you got you got the wind of it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, so I think I think what, what I would love to know is, uh, <clears throat> speaking about Coursera, right? Uh, the mission is... Uh, anyone anywhere can transform their lives through yep. learning, right? Like that's the that's like the yep. north star, at least like a mission yep. based yep. for the company. Yep. Uh, how do you how do you think of the product for Coursera in terms of that? Because you have the platform itself, then you have like the content of the courses, mm -hmm. and then like you know you have the certificates and stuff. So mm -hmm. when like when you were serving as the chief product officer, like how do you like how do you envision a product, and what is your mandate of like building a better product for Coursera? What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, that's something I think um, it's never done, uh, as, as, as you think about it, right? Fundamentally, um, the, the customers evolve, segments evolve, uh, market evolves. So you got to keep pace with that all the time. So with that said, you know, what, when, when I think about Coursera, we think of ourselves as a platform that connects a global learning ecosystem. And, and when I think about that, what this means is like three, uh, it's a three-sided platform. Think of it as a triangle. On one side, you have learners who are coming to Coursera, as you just said, to transform their lives through learning. But when you look at like, you know, peel the animals, like who are these learners? What kind of learners you attract? Um, obviously there are people who are like, you know, already in good jobs and good skilled domains and they want to continue to advance in their careers and so upskill. Uh, but we also have a lot of people who are, who are like in services industry or, or retail, or other places who are looking to switch their careers into digital jobs. Right. Um, then you have college going kids, you know, we're, we're going to graduate and soon want to get employed. So we call them as starters. So starters, switchers, advancers is kind of the way we think about it. Um, originally, when Coursera started, it was all focused on advancers. Mm -hmm. And I'll come back like how it kind of evolved. But then the second side of our platform is educators. And the educators are the ones that are actually creating content that is teaching all of those skills and, and giving you know, credentials, et cetera, to these individuals. And there are about 300 educators, over 120 million learners. Uh, but the 300 educators roughly is like about 175 our top universities in the world, some of them mm -hmm. you went to. Um, uh, and then industry, uh, which is kind of the newer trend over the last four years, becoming an educator. So Google, Amazon, IBM, Microsoft, Right. SaaS, SAP, et cetera, they're all building content that leads to creating um, professional certificates that are tied to new entry-level digital jobs that is attracting these starters and switchers to kind of come to Coursera as well. So that's the, uh, we call them as micro-credentials. So they're creating courses, they're creating these professional certificates, they're creating full online degrees, bachelors and masters. They're creating degrees in business. They're creating content business, technology, data, health, all different domains, right? 
And then you have a third leg of our platform, which we we'll call as institutions, which is so on one side, we're distributing all of this content to the individual learners. Right. The other is when we talk about the B2B side of the equation, right? So one is the B2C. The B2B is three flavors. One is we're working with a lot of enterprises in the world that um, have the need to transform their own talent. So yeah. if you think about AI or machine learning, et cetera, which right. we talk about, um, there's real need for an organization to stay competitive, to produce products that you know, serve their, the needs of their customers. They have to make sure the workforce is also developing and kind of getting those skills, right? So, so that's- uh, just, just to clarify, this is like purpose-built courses that uh, just for, for people to train their internal workforce, like courses. Right. Okay. Yeah, it's not, it's yeah. not necessarily purpose-built. It's, it's essentially think of it as this content is able to teach those skills and, Got it. and right? Um, uh, and so that's one is those enterprises and the other is uh, what we call as campuses. So we have over 3,400 campuses around the world um, that are integrating this content into their curriculum. Because yeah. if you look at a lot of these universities, they don't have faculty to teach AI, machine learning, data science, or cybersecurity. Yeah. And so, so they're like, well, how do I supplement complement what I'm doing on campus? How do I make it more attractive for students to come to campus? How can I create more employability for these students? So they're integrating all of that content into their curriculum. And then the third leg of our stool, uh, the third piece of the institutional offering is uh, governments. So the governments are, you know, with workforce development initiatives, they're worried about unemployment. Uh, they're worried about like skills development within their organizations as well for the same reasons, because technology is changing fast. So if I completely step out of the box, like why does Coursera exist? Um, and that's where I think there's a lot of implication on what you build, how you build, how you can engage uh, different types of customers. It's a lot of it is driven by um, digital transformation, globalization of talent. And ultimately, if you look at more recently, um, it is about AI changing the dynamic, right? And so, right. Um, I was at the World Economic Forum Summit uh, in Geneva just about a month ago, um, where we published a report with WEF. Um, the WEF report talks about 61% of the workers need to reskill between now and 2027. 61% of all workforce, right? That's a, that's and then 49% uh, of every job, um, half of their jobs are exposed to generative AI. Right. Um, so, so where do you go to kind of skill, reskill, continuously learn, et cetera, right? So the imperative right. is across the board, individuals, businesses, governments, and education institutions have all need to collaborate and actually help this massive populations that are going to need to kind of reskill into those sort of, you know, newer skill areas. And, and do you see these, this wave of, of change of employees, like do you see that impacting how product grows at Coursera? Yeah, absolutely. So I gave a little bit of a peek. Like we started with advancers. Um, yeah, right. We started by two Stanford professors uh, uh, in 2012, um, and uh, it meant that it attracted a lot of people. Originally, uh, Andrew Ng was a preeminent data scientist, right? So. Yeah. They built a lot of data science content originally, and then they uh, had uh, business and technology, but it attracted people who were already doing well in the workforce and they wanted to continue to upscale. 
what happened with you know from 2018 to 2019 onwards and especially through post pandemic um, automation and digital transformation have been driving a lot of growth in digital jobs mm-hmm. but also disruption to your low skilled worker jobs right right and so these individuals needed to find alternative paths and alternative careers Mm-hmm. And so with the explosion of remote work and digital jobs, it meant that a lot of people could transform themselves into these new digital careers. And so that is data analyst or cybersecurity or project management, UX design, all kinds of things. And so we have launched these professional certificates. Today, we have about 31 professional certificates mapped to individual careers. Mm-hmm. And so there are about 7 million enrollments in these certificates in the last three and a half years. Wow. And so we're wow. seeing a big shift. And so then your question of like, well, okay, if you are a highly motivated individual, the learning experience could be just like, and a lot of it is you set your own goals, you kind of motivate yourself, you kind of do a yeah. lot of things. But for the starters and switchers who are looking to shift their careers, they need a lot of lot more accountability. They need a lot more support. They need a lot more encouragement, right? Confidence building. Uh, and so we've been doing a number of things, you know, gamifying this and rewards and incentives and community, all kinds of things. They work to a certain degree. Um, but what I'm most excited about now is this um, generative AI based feature uh, uh, we, ju- we just announced called Coursera Coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and the coach is sitting inside the course, understands the full context of the course. And then it can actually be, you know, sort of this holy grail of, interactive personalized learning experience very right. driven right so that's where we're headed so that's just one example but kind of how we continue to evolve so so i have a couple of questions right and and so let me let me ask i think i think this one right like in terms of in terms of the starters section mm-hmm. right uh i i strongly believe that like education at least like the four year degree and, mm-hmm. and that nature of education is getting more and more stratified. And it's it's actually like it's a dinosaur, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's something that is stupid expensive. And it's just not an option like in, in, yeah. in the present day for like a large amount of the populace. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that amount of skilling, like skill, like that amount, that skill set or that skill set threshold is table stakes for coming and working yeah. like yeah. any white collar yeah. job, right? right? So there's like a fundamental mismatch for me. And I think Coursera like what's compelling is like it allows people to fill that gap but uh what i guess i'm curious about is how do you get someone uh to like as a product is this a concern of yours where you are like hey how do we get people externally to look at someone's having a corsetta certificate on their resume and that meaning something right like that that's like hey this person does this and this actually means they know the skill set how do you how like how as the provider of the product, do you make yeah, sure that yeah, your yeah. product is taken seriously, right? Like, yeah, yeah, great question. So I'll, I'll uh, kind of talk about maybe two or three things on that, right? So first is, uh, we talked about like as a product leader, you always think about the customer and kind of what is what problem you're solving for the customers. So if I think about starters or switchers, they're really trying to get into their first job in essence, right? And right. the first job is an entry level job. In a world where you know digital is what is driving the demand, and where there is lack of supply, that's where you would focus on in the first place. You know, because mm-hmm. like, hey, can we, can we actually educate a lot, a lot of people in these digital skilled domains and connect them with employers, right? Ultimately, we're looking for those kinds of talent. 
So that's where we started with like, okay, what are the emerging careers in the next five, 10 years or whatever? So we'll start working backwards. So we call it as a job task analysis. We looked at all of the jobs and we did um, the emerging jobs and we kind of mapped all of the tasks that need to be performed by that job, which means it translates to skills. Right. And so we're like, okay, if you want to be a data analyst, here are the, like the five to 10 skills that you need to be good at, at an entry level. Right. And then we'll question off like, okay, um, how do you actually map that to the content that teaches those skills? Right. So we built a skills graph that connected like what jobs require what skills, what content teaches those skills, and then to what proficiency level the individual has and can learn and demonstrate. So connecting the dots here, so by starting there, we said, okay, well, who has the expertise and capability to build this content in a way that can actually make it employable, right, for the right. individual? And so we said, okay, let's work with Google, IBM, et cetera. And so they created these data analyst certificates with this in mind, right? So with sort of the skills that are required. Now, the, the third part of that is, it's not just about the theory, but you also have to have hands-on. Right. So you, right. Act, you actually have to be able to as an individual to kind of say, it's like, yeah, I know what a data analyst means. I know what SQL is. I know all these kinds of things, but can I actually do this job? So we built what we call as uh, hands-on projects. Um, and we acquired a company called Rhyme for three and a half years ago, um, which essentially provides a, a virtual browser fully in the cloud. You don't need to have like, so let's say, uh, data analyst job in this case requires Tableau. Okay. How do you use Tableau to create data visualization as a data analyst? So any of these jobs require a software tool and some sort of you know uh, expertise with that software tool to solve that problem. And the challenge is like if you're gonna have to be become data analyst, do you have to go to Tableau, download Tableau, set up Tableau, and kind of learn Tableau, etc.? So we built this thing called Guided Project which is a side-by-side -side experience, fully instantiated in the cloud, all delivered through a browser, no no software download is required. It's all pre-configured for you. Right. All you do is like take a data problem and go through the learning experience and then you know address the challenges. Now, what it is helping these individuals is to build a portfolio at the end mm -hmm. of it. Right. So think of like, okay, how can you help build some help someone build a resume or a skill profile when you don't have that degree when you don't have that experience. Right. That's what we've been working towards. So we just um, launched Coursera skill, a learner skill profile uh, two months ago, which actually captures all of this. So the it's like, it's a compilation of you know, the skills, the projects, the portfolio. And when we pitched these to the recruiters, they loved it. Because if you think about entry level, if they, if I post a job, I get like thousands of applications. Yeah. Right. There's no way to know who is qualified. Right. And with Coursera, you can actually see how well they're qualified to. And at and least in theory, like the people that do this are even more like qualified on like a purpose built thing than like a general yes. purpose, like yeah. four year degree bachelor's. Precisely. Like Precisely. imagine right. I went and studied computer science, but if I want to be a data scientist, for example, I didn't take so many classes specific to right. that. Um, yeah, so translate very well in that sense. Correct. Correct. So we call them as pathways to jobs and then we pathways to degrees, et cetera. Yeah. So then for, so for you, right? Like, I guess top down, how do you like year after year, like, is there like a rallying cry for product where you're like, Hey guys, 
this is what we're doing this year because it's clearly you know you have the triangle and each each vertex uh, like each <laughs> vertex of the triangle is like yeah. has like three subsections yeah. right almost like a fractal nature so yeah how do you go from top down right how do you how do you like say yeah. this is the mandate for the year what does that look like and then how does it get kind of yeah. systematized and like yeah. divided and delegated Yeah, so it, it's not easy uh, by all means, <laughs> yeah. as, as you said. <laughs> you're, you're platform and you still have limited amount of resources. You can you still have to kind of manage it towards um, some you know some sort of prioritization, but have a method to the madness here, right? Otherwise, um, there is no way to do this consistently year over year, year over year. So the, there are a couple of frameworks that at least I use first and foremost. First, anyway, it all starts with the company level strategy. Yeah. Right. You know, the CEO and the C team. I was really kind of uh, working with a number of other key leaders across the company, and kind of we meet. We have a cadence where every April we update our three-year strategy, mm-hmm. and and then in August uh, we start looking at like, okay, what is the growth that we want to accomplish for next year? So this year in August, we'll, we'll talk about 2024. Um, and what is sort of the growth trajectory? What are the growth opportunities? And where do we see You know the business growing, etc., and then we map it to um, a financial plan, uh, and that financial plan comes in October, November timeframe, which essentially see so think about the financial plan is growth, revenue, operating expenses, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that kind of gives you a little bit of a guidance on what is your going to be your in uh, people uh, plan and that right. resource plan, and that drives your product like you know okay. What is what can we invest in product? Where can we invest in product, uh, and kind of what do we do there? And then also you go to market strategy, right? Ultimately, you know some of these markets, you know, consumer versus enterprise, different go-to-market strategies, and so you have a sales and marketing plan coming out of that. And so that's to me, I think, is just sort of the the way we operate. But then the job as a CPO would be to kind of really work with the the C team again and. Translating this three-year strategy into a three-year product vision and strategy, mm-hmm. translating this one-year strategy into your one-year product vision and strategy, and and then when when you're doing that, your guiding uh, principle is where does company want to focus and what is our company strategy on one side. The other guiding principle is what is our investment strategy and what are the growth uh, you know drivers that we want to accomplish. Then it translates to a roadmap and you know classic. Prioritization, yeah. etc. Yeah. Yeah. Last year, um, we used uh, the Jeffrey Moore framework, which I find it very uh, helpful. Okay. So you want to give more context on what that yeah, is? Moore versus context framework, right? The two by two, because a lot of times, despite doing all of this, that's right. You know, still keeps you at a little bit of higher level mm-hmm. when you get to the second level of details, etc. Which is like then you struggle with like, okay, where do I, where do I invest more? Where do I invest less, etc. So that gives you a good way to kind of separate the box and actually say, where do you double down? Where yeah. you know, where do you just kind of maintain? And so, and then what are your experiment uh, experiments that key experiments that you have to do to prove hypotheses? And then what are the things you're going to stop doing? Having active conversation on what do you stop doing is equally important versus you know just kind of saying filling up the plate. Um, and the, the strategy for each of these will be different. Yeah. So when I look at like double down, you actually have a good strong hypothesis, good product market fit. Now you're trying to kind of just kind of scale it. Right. Um, and you're talking about maintain 
it's it's the question around maintain is like how can I lower the cost? Mm. The automation or moving some of these to lower cost resourcing, um, yeah. right, etc. Or just kind of saying, oh, let's go partner with someone because there's no right. real a competitive differentiation or value creation there. And then experimentation is a lot of it is about product market fit, right? Figuring out product market fit. And so we also, I developed this playbook, how we get product market fit at Coursera. Yeah. Uh, and it's just a playbook that uh, it starts with, you know, what is the product market fit team and um, kind of goes through the six P's of product market fit that you have to go through, et cetera. And kind of how you run that process inside the company. And so before you can graduate and experiment into double down, that's the playbook that people use to kind of actually say, is this worth investing? So how do you test mm-hmm. that there? And right. I, it almost like drives me to ask you another question too for the audience is like, how, how has your career changed from just going from like a lower level PM all the way now to CPO to COO? How does yeah. your role shift over that time? I'm sure a lot of people are curious to learn, learn about that. Yeah, yeah, it's it. You know, it kind of. I think um, I wrote I wrote a couple few things down here. It's just like uh, over the years, like you know, what does a great product manager do? Yeah, as a right. starting point, like what does a great product manager look like? Um, and and I was like, number one is delivers results. So a lot <laughs> of times people talk about vision, strategy, all kinds of stuff. Okay, that's great. What impact did you deliver? And that's the struggle I feel a lot of PMs go through, which is like you're, you get busy serving multiple constituents. And so you yeah. forget like what result am I driving? And so when you think about results, it's like, it starts with, are you shipping products that delight customers? Yeah. Right. I'm just going to emphasize shipping products. That delight <laughs> right. Uh, you're able to beat the competition and you're able to make money for the company. Yeah. Right, so there's sort of value creation for customer and value creation for the business. Um, the second is leading teams well. So you think of it as like, you know, are you skilled at making decisions? Are you skilled at communicating? Are you actually able to influence? Because a lot of times nobody reports to you, right? Yeah. Uh, and then is smart and curious. Like talk about a lot of times people talk about innovation, but that comes from curiosity, right? Right. right. There needs to be a sense of urgency. What I, right. what I see in individuals is that lack of sense of urgency when they're pushing for, forward. And then you've got to have you know, a pretty broad set of talents. It's like thinking about what's valuable to the customer, what's valuable to the business. And you have to be able to articulate that. Right. So I think of that as the framing for the individual product manager. Mm-hmm. If, if you can really be good at that, then actually, you know, like actually you're going to continue to grow. Uh, so what changed? The other thing I would say is um, look at like sort of the um, the uh, like the bird's eye view, right? Kind of a right. So when you are thinking about product management in general, you're dealing with a lot of ambiguity, um, and right. uh, and so you try to get too close to the ground, um, you lose sort of that. Uh, ability to kind of have a broader perspective and you just kind of, you know, forest from the trees. So you get caught up in the weeds and then like, you know, you're trying to become like feature driven versus like really customer problem driven again. But anyway, when you're an IC product manager, you are operating at maybe at that, you know, hundred foot level to a thousand foot level to maybe 5,000 foot level. Um, 
as you move up the ladder there, your perspective has to really change, right? And you're looking at like, if I'm looking at one piece of the product area and I'm looking at like the overall, um, maybe a vertical, uh, right? right? Yeah. And then as you move up, like it's a whole company level. And so who you influence, who you work with, et cetera, et cetera, it can all changes too. I, f I would recommend one book I, uh, I liked um, and I use that to actually recreate the entire PM rubric here years ago, I got sick mm -hmm. of like not having a rubric uh, <laughs> to kind of recruit and evaluate and help people yeah. guide through their career journey. So it's seven, se I think it's seven sins of product management or something like that. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, check on Amazon. Uh, it's a pretty fat book, but you don't have to read the whole book, but I think it actually goes through like really good fundamental foundations of what a great product manager should be. Okay. Yeah, that's a good. So, you never recommended this before, so I have to check that. Out. <laughs> you may have ignored it. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe you have recommended it. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll this first time hearing of the book, and I, I, I will check it out. Um, so, in terms of like you know what you said about a, a good PM is, is shipping product that like delivers results, right? Uh, and I, I think that resonates with me, but I feel like where people kind of get a little lost is like the definition of results and all like the definition of success for a product and the measurement of the success of the product, right. It's yeah. kind of where things kind of go awry because I feel like there's always best intentions. Like everyone wants yeah. to build a good product. Yeah. I don't think yeah. someone's out there. Like I want to build a piece of shit. Like everyone wants yeah. to build something good, yeah. but like you kind of lose alignment. So how do you, I guess in general, right? Like from the bottom up level, like what can an ordinary PM do to be more, intentional about making sure that the stuff yeah. that they're building is driving the results yeah. that yeah. their stakeholders care about. And then as the stakeholder, as like, you know, yeah. the CTO, CEO, yeah. how do you make sure that you pass down a very clear directive of, Hey guys, this is what success means. Yeah. And here's how I'm going to measure it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good question. I think it's, it does get quite challenging um, uh, at times. Um, so what I would, what I would say is, so first of all, uh, Again, like, you know, top down is actually a little bit easier, in my opinion. It's the bottom up, which is which is yeah. harder in general. Right. Uh, so from a bottom up perspective, it goes back to you're a product manager. The, the questions I ask generally when people come to me, which is like, hey, I want to do a product review with you and all that stuff. Just like they will start showing me the product and the demo. And I was, I was like, OK, stop right there. It's <laughs> like, who is your customer? Right. Yeah. Right. So can you describe to me your customer very clearly? Yeah. And and I think it, it has to be like, you know, if I think about career switcher as an example, it's like, oh, that's career switcher. OK, well, what do you mean by career switcher? Which is like, well, they are already in the workforce. They may be between like, you know, 24 to 38, something like that. I'm just making up here. But and mm -hmm. they're in retail, they're in services, they're blah, blah, blah. And they're, you know, frustrated with their jobs and uh, here are some of the, but they do have certain skills, which is like, you know, if you're in retail clerk, maybe you're good at, good with sales, maybe you're good with marketing, maybe good with some of the things that could map to something else. But if I, um, and what I mean by that is how do you know you, you know, your customer, which is like, if I give you five other examples of like customers, you should be able to tell me like, that's mine. That's not my customer. Yeah. Right. So right. you got like, they almost pick what it out of a lineup. What yeah. attributes define your customer, right? So number yeah. one. And then the question is like, what problem are you trying to solve for your customer? 
yeah. to your clarity on the problem. So can you actually state the problem? Uh, can you state the hypothesis of your solution then? Like, you know, here's the problem. Here are the hypotheses I'm actually trying to test. And that yeah. hypothesis is actually going to describe what metrics you're trying to move in part of that, right? So it is, a hypothesis is, is useless if you can't measure, you know, right? Um, so hypothesize, design, test, learn is kind of the, the lean product philosophy. So they have to be able to describe to me, which is like, here is the problem I'm trying to solve. Here are my hypotheses. Here are the metrics I'm trying to move. And when you're thinking about metrics at that level, um, as a product manager, you do have to think about two types of metrics, which is one is the customer value metrics. So right. is it like, you know, if you think about this is the problem I'm trying to solve, um, how do you know you're solving that problem? From right. a customer lens. Yeah. From a customer lens. Now, we talk about, oh, utilization or retention, et cetera, right? But is the learner making progress in the learning journey? Are they coming back often? Are they, um, you know, uh, getting closer to their job outcome? Or like, are they you know, like even frustrated, right? Like that's- Where are they even frustrated? Where are they dropping off, et cetera, too. right? So yeah. what I call is like, what can you control? Yeah. Right? Which is control metrics, control variables, input metrics, versus the output metrics. That's why I'm saying, as you move up, I can say like, hey, we need to grow our revenue by 30%. We need to grow, increase our customer learner base by another 20 million learners. I have to acquire more, uh, 500 more enterprise customers. I could say that easier. But yeah. it translates to, well, in order to grow our learner base by 120 million or 20 million, we need to have a great um, uh, flywheel that translates from like someone getting to their learning outcomes, actually bringing more people onto the platform as an example. Right. So just, right. just as a thought process. But I think that's where, that's what I would do. Like, you know, really think about um, the value proposition and the metrics. And then I, it comes back to product market fit for me. Uh, and I'll tell you what those six P's are. Just uh, who's the persona, uh, which is again, like the specific people, the target, uh, what is their problems, the specific unmet need. Yeah. And even if you're, if you're trying to do a feature, you can still apply product market fit, by the way. Yeah. Some small enhancements, I, I guess nobody cares. Um, right. What is the proposition? Like, so the specific feature benefits. Oftentimes I found when I was doing product management versus product marketing, um, the delta was, I was just kind of building features, functionality. I was thinking about value but I didn't know how to describe the value to the company. Right. When I went to product marketing, I was forced to kind of translate this all, here's the benefit for you. Yeah. And, and so PMs who can actually connect and become product marketers and product, like you know, both sides of the equation, if you can actually describe and articulate the benefit, then you actually think of it, <laughs> the features a little differently anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which leads to, you know, what is the key, what is the actual product? And then how are you positioning? You know, having a great sense of uh, what are you competing for in the yeah. customer's time? Uh, and so how do you position this to be more valuable than whatever I'm competing for your time and the, on, the, on the customer side? And then how do you get to market? Yeah, this is an awesome framework. I should just borrow it and, <laughs> and take it off your hands. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I just want to switch gears a little bit because we're at 35 minutes and I, I want to make sure that we touch upon 
kind of, I mean, it's, it's what people are talking about now is the generative AI aspect. You know, there's mm-hmm. obviously a widespread application across industries in, in ours yeah. as well as yours. Um, yeah. I actually want to get your take in terms of, uh, you know, we, we've spoken to other people on the show, like uh, the, the principal PM at ServiceNow's platform mm-hmm. AI. Mm-hmm. And how do you, like, there, there's a sense of AI is like a panacea to, to like a lot of operations. Like it's just, hey man, we, we'll put AI on it and it'll invariably yeah. get better, right? Yeah. Uh, but on the on the education front, right? People are fearing it, at least traditional education. Mm-hmm. They're like, dude, this is gonna, we have no way of objectively grading people. We have no way of knowing like if people are just gonna yeah. cheat on the test, et yeah. cetera. Yeah. So what is, what is like a positive AI application for education yeah. uh, in, in your opinion? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um, that's a great question. It's something we've, we've been really, really thinking hard, um, especially since last November, I guess, you know, when GPT yeah. came to life uh, in a bigger, broader way. Um, so first of all, I think of it as, um, I, I kind of touched upon this earlier as well, but when you think about the learning experience um, and as, an, as a student, as, as a learner, as an employee, um, Historically, it's been just like, you know, passive, like you can watch a video, you can listen to a lecture, you get that. And it became a little active, meaning like there are quizzes, assessments, you can just get, you know, some feedback as part of that. Um, but really the holy grail has been like interactive and personalized mm-hmm. and contextually relevant. Mm-hmm. And that's been very hard to crack. Um, because there's no engine that that could easily understand the context and has the brain power to understand the full context of mm-hmm. the subject matter and the domain, et cetera. But then also map it to specifically to personalize to whatever you need at a moment of time. Right. And so to give you an example, I'm in a leadership, I'm taking a leadership class uh, course, sorry. Um, and the Coursera College kind of sits there and it gives me a ability to kind of ask a number of different questions to the coach, depending on like what I'm trying to do. So for instance, I'm like in front of this 20 minute video, I'm like, I don't have 20 minutes today. Can you summarize this video for me in 30 seconds? Right. So I get that. Um, well, you know what? The, the next hour, I'm actually going to speak to my leadership team. And I want to talk about like, here are the three key leadership principles I just learned from this course. Just like give me three bullet points of this course content, you know, to, to synthesize it for me. It just gives me that, right? And then the next thing is, I'm just like, well, uh, actually test my knowledge about this concept and leadership philosophy, give me right. a quiz. It just can give me a quiz. Now that's in this context. Now, if I think about the career switcher and career starter context, so they can get all of this stuff, but I'm also going to go prepare for a job interview. Well, okay, give me another problem to solve for me in this, that I can actually get ready for this interview. Well, if I do this kind of subject and experience, et cetera, what kind of job should I pursue? Or I have these skills, what kind of job should I pursue? Like which one of these certificates should I take? So there's a lot of opportunity when you think about educators, especially the teachers, you can't replace the teachers themselves, but you can actually make the teaching a lot more efficient and effective and personalized and so that individual teacher who is not able to do this one-on-one teaching, but that's the holy grail, can actually effectively teach one-on-one thousands of students simultaneously, right? So that's that's the positive side of the equation. Now, you taught, you referred, touched upon the other side, the risk side of the equation that you know a lot of people are worried about is the academic integrity of the learning that's actually happening, right? right? 
Right. So people can easily cheat, go to GPT and get answers and kind of actually put the put those answers, um, et cetera. Uh, the, the thing is, so that means ultimately how we're testing and assessing has to evolve. Right. Um, if, if you think about open book exam. That's exactly it, right? They, like exist, they, they existed all day long. They have, they, yeah. Right? So, so, so then the question is like, do you want someone to rote, memorize, and repeat? I'm thinking about, you know, <laughs> a lot of the the sort of, I guess, AP exams, for example, yeah. right? Um, right? Uh, versus, do you want to give problems to analysis or creative problem solving, creative thinking, and then right. present my analysis, right? So to me, I'm like, maybe one way to think about it is like, use GPT all day long but show me your work and yeah. actually present your work live, right? So the pedagogical model has to continue to evolve. And so that's where we're actually talking to a lot of our educator partners. You know, it's like, okay, how can the, the learning experience, but the, the teaching experience can also evolve along mm. the way here. Right. More work to be done. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's, that's fascinating, right? For, for me, uh, the, to, to your point, like the open book exam, I'll never forget this. Like we, we like my physics class in in, in college, uh, the open book. It was open book, open internet, and like one of the questions. So those was, are the like, hardest exams, by the yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> the question I'll never forget. There's a fish of mass m sitting on a table of height h. What's the distance between the fish and the table? Like that was the that was the question, uh, and like you know, it's it it makes you think because you could like go out, look up all of like the the first yeah. principles, all of the equations, but it's really about framing that and i feel like the analytical like it, it the new the new new way of judging is really like looking at people's ability to apply information like to get it yeah. it's super easy if it was easier yeah. earlier now it's even easier right, right? like to, to even like put synthesize information is easier too earlier yeah. it was okay i had to find information i had to synthesize it but now i need to like it's just application like am i right. am i able to Correct. determine like the application so, so if you think about it too like you know we're we're here and who knows what, how this will continue to evolve in the next five years how fast it will continue to evolve mm -hmm. but if i think about half of the world's jobs half of their tasks are exposed to gpt the people who are going to be successful in the workplace are the ones who actually know how to use gpt yeah. um, because those are the ones that are going to be twice productive and they will beat the people who, are do, who do not embrace it. Exactly. Now, what is the imperative for educational institutions? Well, that's where you teach these skills. So you should actually embrace this. Can I actually say is like, you know, we want our students to become really top experts in generative AI and leveraging generative AI and not be afraid of that. Yeah. Um, and so that's where I, I mean, I see there's an imperative for the education, educating um, industry to can actually enable that but then the other piece is there's a lot of conversation on what cannot ai disrupt it's the mm. human skills yeah right, right. That's and that's where if you're you know if your assessments can move in in kind of really testing your human skills and helping you improve your right. human skills you're actually now actually helping that student to become more employable yeah right. yeah 
I know, um, I know we're short on time. I have one last question, if that's okay. Um, this one's a personal okay. one too. I don't mm -hmm. think I've ever asked you this. So uh -huh. um, <laughs> a You're lot of- worried about it now. Okay. <laughs> good, good. No, um, a lot of people, you know, they go through their careers and they aspire to be where you are right now, right? Like people your age as well. Like, I think the question I have for you is like, what drives you? What drove you to, you know, growing your career at such a fast rate and being where you are today and and how do you continue to use that drive and where do you want to go yeah yeah that's that's a good question so i um you know look i i don't know if i've grown fast or not but uh but i i did have a north star like you know at some point um when i was at microsoft i basically said hey i want to start a company on my own right and right. that north star helped me to kind of navigate um and it's it's a lot of it is I want to be an entrepreneur, but I became an entrepreneur about my own career. It's kind mm -hmm. of the way I think about it. I took risks, I did pivots, and I kind of went along the flow at times. And I've taken drops in my level. Actually, mm -hmm. uh, people don't know that. Like as I shifted from product management to product marketing, I was level down. Uh, I went from tech to product management. I was level down mm -hmm. every time. And that's an entrepreneurial risk. Yeah. And so, so you have to believe in yourself. So fundamentally, you're going to have strong ambition, uh, but you also have to take risks and believe that you will do whatever it takes and kind of learn your way to get there. Um, and I think, you know, I've, I was a CEO and I was a president, and then I had an opportunity here to be sort of, you know, GM and CPO kind of working, going backwards a little bit. Everybody was like, why are you going backwards? Uh, yeah. I didn't, I, like backwards, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't consider it as a backward move. Sure. Personally, you know, again, like, you know, I, I love the mission of Coursera. There's, there's a massive opportunity. Because what I learned is I've, I've been working for a great CEO. I've learned a lot from uh, this man. Uh, and, um, and then, you know, we've grown this company like crazy in the last five years. Yeah. Uh, we've taken the company public. Um, and so I've learned a lot. Now, I was never a COO, like I'm a CEO. Of course, as a CEO, you can operate the whole business. Right. Uh, so to me, I think sometimes people totally obsess about titles and so they get caught up in the titles. And so yeah. I would, I think, you know, title is less important. More important is the, the skills and the process that you're going to go through because you will become a CEO one day, you can be something else, and then you can go back, become a CEO, et cetera. So yeah. skills and uh, the knowledge you will gain over time is what is going to get you wherever you want to be. That's, that's awesome. A, that's and a I, last good, awesome piece of advice to leave yeah. us with. <laughs> uh, I, this, this has been just an excellent conversation. Uh, I think I've learned a lot, and uh, it was just really fun chatting with you. Uh, yeah, next time I'm in the Bay, I would love to catch up <laughs> and grab a beer. Uh, but for now, uh, thank you so much for coming on yeah. this podcast with us and chatting with us. I, there, there's like a lot of nuggets of information, a lot of learning to be had. Uh, yeah. And uh, before we before we wrap up, is there anything you want to let the listeners know? Anything you want to plug? Uh, tell them what you got going on in your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. First of all, this has been this has been great. I totally enjoyed this conversation as well, and especially uh, with Shruti being here uh, as well. Uh, just, um, you know, a quick plug. I do LinkedIn live sessions myself. So there's one coming up in July. I'm going to talk to someone from Google Cloud. We're going to talk about AI, cloud, et cetera, as well. 
So, uh, you know, that would be the plug. You know, watch for my posts on that and uh, tune into that. Awesome. awesome. Thanks for your time. Uh, Hopefully our listeners tune into that too. And for everyone listening, thank you for tuning into episode 14 of Redesign Growth Podcast. We'll be back again next week with another episode, same time, same place. We'll see you then. Until then, goodbye and have a great weekend.